Yeah, I would totally agree with you. Do you think it's because Bill Murray thinks that P.F. Chang's is a superior dining chain? Oh, no, it's it's absolutely a political statement. Oh, political yeah. statement? I mean, between like certain types of Asian food. Yeah, he's saying P.F. Chang's is the best. I mean, what other competitors are there? Uh, Panda Express? Uh, I don't consider that. That's not... It's not really a good sit-down restaurant to be like, oh, honey, we're going out for Panda Express tonight. <laughs> no, Panda Express is something that I eat because I'm lonely. <laughs> and it's something I eat a lot at work, too, which sucks. But it, it, let's, here, it's not It's not like a, uh, hey, we brought the family. We're going to share a bunch of stuff because that's what you do at P.F. Chang's. It encourages you to share. It is a great restaurant. I think Bill Murray, I think Bill Murray chooses it as a statement for restaurants i don't know if it's like like a big political thing. oh no i was just kidding about that yeah oh, oh. <gasps> sense of humor oh sense god of humor. oh my gosh <laughs> only hollywood elite go to pf chains <laughs> which actually uh, based on restaurants a lot of nba players also go to cheesecake factory that doesn't surprise me yeah got a wide selection of food to go oh yeah but is there per is they said he, they lost his application. Yeah, Atlanta? they. I don't know that. See, that kind of tells me that he didn't actually apply because, like, if, if somebody told me that Bill Murray was applying for where I worked, I would hunt his application down. Um, but I, I, like I said, I kind of think it's a big joke. But just the thought of it in general is just really funny, and like the potential of maybe seeing Bill Murray dressed up in that uniform at a at a uh, Panda Express. Sorry, PF Chang's. <laughs> yeah, I just really want Asian food right now. That's, we've got barbecue cooking in the other room and now i'm getting hungry you know we, we need to throw an asian person in there and it'll be complete just get a giant walk oh gosh oh no make it authentic <laughs> all right everyone well <laughs> welcome to the sona podcast this is where we talk about movies shows games and whatever the heck we want you can find us on spotify apple Podcasts, anchor and youtube today i'm joined by my good friend john and i'm christopher and we're your co-hosts for the day John, how you doing? I'm doing pretty great, Chris. How about you? I'm 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 holding myself I'm I'm holding it together, sir. The sushi will hit me probably soon that I had earlier today, but that's for another time. Anyways, <laughs> uh, the stories we'll be going over today, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones and the creators who are not going to be doing Star Wars. We're going to be talking about the Terminator, Dark Fate, and we're going to talk about HBO. And the prequel series it uh, ordered from Game of Thrones and the House of Dragons series. And then I will be going over some stuff going on in the games industry that I'm really passionate about. Kind of interested to see uh, what John's input is or any of y'all's input because John's not as big as a gamer as me. I'm sorry, Chris. Into those mobile games I see, sir. Yes. Feeding the giant I so desperately want to kill. That's all (laughs) right. That's what friends are for. All right. So the the big story that i'm really um that i thought was kind of interesting in the dynamic is the one at lucasfilms with uh D, david benioff and uh david weiss david weiss they're no longer doing a star wars project i mean they just got paid a bunch of money from netflix but the claim is that they didn't want to deal with potentially toxic fandom base. That's a claim. Uh, they skipped the last years at San Diego, last year San Diego Comic Con, so they to avoid angry fans and attendance because of how poorly season eight went, which stinks. But uh, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's a little bit more of the, the fact that Lucasfilm wants it their own way. But um, what, what do you think? So, I mean, it's probably a bit of a mix. I mean, obviously nobody can ignore the response that season eight had and even season seven to a degree of, of Game of Thrones, um, which they had a bit more control over because uh, uh, George R. R. Martin hadn't finished the series. So they were basically having to create this content from an outline he had given them years before. And fans really aren't the easiest things to deal with nowadays. I think everybody's got an opinion. Everybody feels very strongly and very passionately about these things that they have kind of taken into their own and they feel very strong ownership over. Um, because, I mean, we had been 
speculating the ending for Game of Thrones for years. I mean, especially since the books had started coming out, people had guessed who Jon Snow's mother uh, was and his lineage and all these uh, connections that had been made throughout the books and speculated about. So for them to finally give some kind of conclusion to it, not everybody was going to be happy. Mm. And I think the fan outcry uh, has probably been a little strong. I mean, I'm sure we won't feel this way looking back on it years from now. But, I mean, again, there's that whole corporate machine that they have their own image of what they want their content to look like because they have all this money poured into it and they need to know for sure that it's going to be what the public wants. And so they have to go off of surveys and all the information they have collected and make some kind of educated guess about what is going to be popular years from now. So, I mean, it's probably a strong mix of... uh, lack of creative control over the project and knowing that based on their last project there was probably going to be a large percentage of the audience that wasn't really super psyched about anything they did next granted netflix is paying them over 200 million dollars for their services and money talks is it 200 million 200 million dollars yeah I would I would give up anything else for two hundred million dollars. Okay, that may, that makes more sense because I was I was in the impression it was less than that. But what you said, kind of, I mean, I think this is more on D and D, but also Lucasfilm's the way it runs because Ga- HBO would have wanted Game of Thrones to last longer. Like, hey, take another season, you know? Let's let's drag it out, you know? Let's really refine it. And I think they stumbled. Like you said, the reception with angry fans in season eight did not go over well. That ending was... Those last three episodes were not the best. I liked the third... I I liked the first three. And I really enjoyed the third one, despite some people saying the action wasn't really that great. I enjoyed it. Uh, Just that last... The last two episodes were kind of awful. And the third one, the setup to it was pretty mediocre but i i can't imagine that like if you're like if dnt were really passionate about doing the star wars trilogy and the 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 rumor was that they sped up production so they can get to star wars and then they land this netflix deal it's very convoluted to me it doesn't make a lot of sense and so i'm stuck here thinking like you know when i think about whose fault this is you know is it kathleen kennedy and, you know, all the directors that they've lost in the time? Or is it D&D? And I'm more inclined to think it's 50-50. And I really, really want it to be mostly Kathleen Kennedy, but it is... You just have a personal vendetta against her, it feels like. <laughs> no, she... Well, granted, she's a great producer. And, you know, Lucasfilm is behind... Or Bob Iger is behind her no matter what. I can't get too upset about that. It is what it is. But I was hoping that, you know, if J.J. does really, really well with this movie, you know, there's no reason to get rid of her. Mandalorian does really good. There's no reason to get rid of her. I'm not part of the fan base that says she needs to go. I'm part of the, I feel like I'm part of the fan base that it's like, I want to understand how we got here. Because the fan base is split and upset. And I am not a fan of The Last Jedi. And I think that's more of the director rather than Kathleen Kennedy. But her choices to run the ship kind of the way it has, has led to this. So she needs blame, of course. But getting away from that, I think that kind of direction or lack of vision of what the overall product should be is something that might be what drove other you know, people away when they're like, hey, we have this great idea. And they're just like, no. You know, that's not what we're doing. They're like, okay, so what do you want to do? And they're just like, not that. Yeah. You know, there's, it doesn't seem like there's cohesiveness. And maybe when these directors come up with something new and inform, uh, imaginative, uh, execs like Kathleen Kennedy would be like, no, we got to do it this way. But with no direction. I, that's that's what I speculate. You know, this is all rumor stuff. But with D&D leaving, that... I just don't think... I think that ship has gone and left. I don't think they're going to do that great of things. I don't think they're going to do amazing things for for, for Netflix. Netflix even. I mean, and we, we have no idea what they're what they're planning for that 
for that contract with them. Uh, so, I mean, it could be anything. <clears throat> Maybe it's a passion project of theirs they've had for a while. Maybe it's something that Netflix wants done and they knew they wanted them to be the ones to helm it. Like I said, we really, really don't know. We're really speculating at this point about it. I'm yeah. very curious to see what it's going to end up being, whether it's something kind of in the vein of Game of Thrones or something completely different that they want to take their career in a new direction. I the Yeah, I would agree. I think that if they pick up something like the series on Netflix that it opened with, which was Marco Polo, mm-hmm. do you remember that series? Yeah. If they grab a series like that, which is kind of medieval. Well, yeah, it's medieval, just in Asia. Mm-hmm. And they go over war scenes and political intrigue along that lines. Then, then D and D will be fine. Then they'll find they'll find their niche and they'll continue to grow it. That's the only way I see it working, as far as Netflix having to compete with Disney, which I've heard on a podcast from Collider, uh, their uh, their Star Wars podcast that they were talking about that. You know, maybe behind the scenes, like Netflix has this deal and Disney Plus is coming out and the execs are like, well, you have to choose one, you know, because it's competition. Well, that and I mean, if if you're going to pour $200 million into a project, it's going to be pretty extensive. I mean, they're not going to put this out for like an NBC sitcom kind of deal. It's going to be a a big budget, uh, big production kind of show. Or movie, probably show, probably not movie. Um, and with Disney, I mean, yeah, they, they want to try and minimize all the competition they can. That's why they bought Hulu. I mean, they're they're trying to control as much as they can to limit the competition. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's been a lot of back and forth behind the scenes about where their interests need to lie and what kind of priority, priorities they need to have. I'm sure they had... They've got enough clout in the industry to make up their own mind at this point. And like I said, I, I really think they just went with the money. I think if if Star Wars and Lucasfilm were trying to push back in a certain direction and it came down to the bottom line, I think they probably just weren't offering them as much as Netflix was. And as creators, I mean, you want to like produce the kind of content that you want, but at the same time... If you're making two hundred million dollars versus, say, even a hundred million dollars or hundred fifty, it's. I mean, that's a big difference in the long run. Yeah, uh, but I, I, speaking of that, um, going back to the the scheduling the movies, it's very it's very interesting that now that they're out of the picture, we don't have that plethora of Star Wars stuff. We're like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. give it a few more years. They're taking a break from Star Wars, and they're gonna hit us all back with it. Yeah. No. Now we we lost Andy. Mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson. Who knows when that's gonna happen? I don't. Yeah, it, it's been announced, but I don't think anything is a hundred percent set in stone with him. Yeah, it, it, I, I I think they're still figuring it out or something. But when when they've like gotten a few interviews, with Ryan Johnson's like, yeah, you know, he just it's very non-committal. Like I don't know yet. Like, It'll happen when it happens. Well, yeah, and I don't know if that's his fault or if that's. Disney, whatever. I think the bright spot, you know, with movies at least is is Kevin Feige. Yeah, but now he's head movie. he's head of Marvel, uh, with uh, all the creative decisions. So, mm-hmm. when is he gonna have time to do it? Yeah, I mean, it, I think at this point <clears throat> the Marvel ship is pretty well in control of itself, and I think he's just kind of there to course correct as needed. I think he set up a pretty good foundation for where he wants the MCU to go. Well, now he's in charge of not just movies, but like mm-hmm. all the content as far as creative decision. Movies, TV, comic books, yeah, everything. So, so how do you think that affects his time with Star Wars? I mean, I th- like I said, I think as long as he puts creators, good, good enough creators in the roles that they need to be, I think he can trust the directors with the vision that he's kind of put forward. And I don't think he needs to micromanage as much as he needed to going into phase two, let's say, mm-hmm. when the kind of the new leadership took over uh, of the MCU. Now, I mean, I'm sure he's still going to be involved a little bit day to day, but it's not going to be anywhere near where it was when he first took over. So, I mean, and again, he's just a producer in a Star Wars film, so that doesn't mean he'll be involved in that every single day. I think, and I think he'll be able to manage his time effectively to get the vision that he wants for that Star Wars film and also put, like I said, put the people where they need to be for the Marvel content that he's in control of. 
Mm. Well, that yeah, that's a very interesting take that he might take a hands off approach. Because I wonder if that if him being like, hey, everything's kind of set in stone. I'm being consulted on stuff make little changes kind of like george lucas does where they're like george what about this he's like well maybe we should change this and then he micromanages certain things yeah and then he backs off i think if kevin feige's in that kind of role maybe it works out but. well i mean you gotta think about it too ryan coogler uh has black panther 2 on his on his schedule he knows exactly what he's gonna do with that film and really kevin feige's just there to put sprinkle in the marvel bits but ryan's got the, the disney story. magic exactly <laughs> uh yeah, Feige is Ryan Coogler's Tinkerbell. Oh, okay. Sure. He can fly. Uh, he can fly. He can fly. <laughs> I believe. He can fly. Uh, but then you have people yeah. like Peyton Reed that they have a very specific vision for the Ant-Man films, which the third one is coming out, I believe, in 2022. Um, I'm fine with the Ant-Man films. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think as long as they s- try and take this one in a direction where the characters can stand on their own and not just shoehorn in mcu references and set the next big thing up let's tell like an actual ant-man story and tell the story of the things that we've already laid out on the table in the previous two films um i think i think that the third one has potential to be a really great film and to start telling things and from the perspective of these characters that's so unique to the rest of the mcu there's really not any other powers or, or characters like them that have been introduced in these films mm. I mean, and we'll just we'll just have to wait and see how those go. But like I said, I think that with with those types of directors that they've been farming and cult and building up the culture of with the MCU, I think that everybody kind of knows Kevin Feige's vision for the most part, and he's really there to kind of just say, "All right, this character is going to go here. Go ahead and build the story you want off of this." But I don't yeah. think he needs to write any scripts out for the movies. I think he just is there to kind of give general bullet points of where he wants things to go well that's good yeah i i I, that's i think what disney really needs Mm -hmm. but with with star wars that's what disney needs with star wars yes and speaking with that with the television shows for disney plus the mandalorian yes obi-wan kenobi series and the rogue one prequel and we saw released uh this past weekend the trailer for Mandalorian. Oh yeah. Or last or last week rather. I think they released it what Wednesday? Uh something like that, yeah. So Chris this, this is why we uh turn off our phones before the podcast. <laughs> well, I, well I edit this out. No, well, we're gonna keep this in. Hello. Some call center bullshit. Chris answered a spam call. You know, you know, I'm expecting an important phone call at some point okay. if it happens. All right, so well, yeah, one, we'll one could be hopeful. Which <coughs> let me bring something up with since that spam phone call just happened. So where I work, we have a company phone. We got a freaking spam phone call on that company phone, and I've never seen that happen before. Jeez, I was like, there's some there. It was like there's something wrong with your with your credit card. Please, please uh, click these buttons. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> like what? This is not be happening. The state the state of spam phone calls is like it's out of hand. It, it is in a galaxy far, far away, under the control of the, of the empire. A long time ago. This is ridiculous. This is this is some next level like bs but that's just me but what we were talking about the tv series mandalorian trailer oh yeah what are your thoughts on the trailer i thought it was a phenomenal trailer to be honest and i mean we talked about the uh the rise of skywalker in our first episode and kind of our reactions from that trail that full-length trailer oh yeah and to be honest i'm more excited about this show than i am the final star wars movie I just it seems like just gritty and it's gonna be really really well done I love the the vagueness that these trailers have given it to where I don't really know anything fully about the story other than it's a bounty hunter he's collecting bounties he runs into some people trouble ensues 
but I love the fact that there's so much left to explore that I don't know anything about. And I, I feel like, I feel like the Star Wars uh, Skywalker saga. I mean, it's definitely going to go on, end on a on a good note. I'm sure with with Abrams at the helm. But I'm I am very excited to see where the Mandalorian goes and and kind of this entryway into Star Wars live action TV. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you on the fact that it's like, oh, it's something new and I want to see where it goes. Or as opposed to, and it's excitement versus Rise of Skywalker. Because Rise of Skywalker, you know, I'm excited for it. However, you we're not going to get that much epic character development, it seems like. So what we're expecting to be new is ending. So yeah. why would you be excited for that? It'd be cool. We're looking for, for plot points. With Rise of Skywalker, like, what's going to happen? Yeah, closure. Where, yeah, whereas uh, The Mandalorian is like a new world. And mm-hmm. these characters, you don't know. There's no... You don't know character arts. You don't know how it's going to plan out, how they're going to interact with uh, Pedro Pascal's character. Or just the Empire in general. What's the the adversaries? Is it the Empire? Is it criminal syndicates? What's what is it to being a bounty hunter? Is he gonna stay a bounty hunter? Cross the line, go back, be good guy. There's so much to explore with this, and for me, that trailer just screamed like this is where we should have been going with when Disney took over. Yeah, everyone who watched the prequels, everyone who watched the original trilogy, we've grown up, mm-hmm. and Disney has a way of telling a story that adults and kids can get behind and you know force awakens i was okay with it but as far as the last jedi and you know the other spinoff films which rogue one i thought was good but solo it was okay i had a good time watching it just the fumbling of everything Mm -hmm. it's just the mandalorian looks like what we should have been given with the prequels and I think this is one of the first bits of content. Oh, hey, Lila. Dog's in here. Uh, I think this is one of the first bits of content that we've had the same development team build it from start to finish. Whereas like all of the, the trilogy films, uh, especially this latest one, we've had two different directors uh, alternating between the films. Uh, the creative team, I'm sure, has changed up quite a bit. There's just there's not really that unified direction that like we said like the MCU has for example uh, where I think with this with the team that's at the helm of it I think they know exactly what story they want to tell they want to know they know how they want to tell it who they're going to involve in it and I really think that it's got potential to blossom and kind of lead the way for how they want to tell these Star Wars stories moving forward yeah the um. The uh, the other series that I'm kind of excited for, um, so Obi Wan Kenobi, we don't know a lot about that. We know Owen McGregor is coming back, and I think he's a good actor. Uh, Rogue One prequel, that'll be cool. Yeah, we don't Cassian know a lot Andor about that. Story. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that will be exciting when it comes. If Mandalorian hits it out of the park, everyone's going to be hyped for these series. But Bob Iger has gone on record saying that Star Wars is something special, and that basically the market is getting flooded with content. From that con- comment, you know, I'll get your thoughts, but I think that's kind of BS because Marvel is flooding the market with superhero stuff. And sure, you have a competitor like DC. Mm-hmm. Star Wars has a competitor like you could say tar- Star Trek. Yeah, but Star Trek tackles different issues. They tar they they target more social issues, and and Star Wars is more of like oh the overarching good versus evil. So. When I look at that and him saying like, oh, you know, we shouldn't flood it that much. No, you can flood it. You just got to flood it with good content. Yeah, I, 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 to a degree, I think it's kind of him playing favorites with his uh, with his content, which I, I completely agree uh, with him also being the helm or at the CEO of all the Marvel content. We're getting potentially up to four MCU movies a year, not including the Spider-Man films. Uh, that alone is, I mean, far surpasses anything the Star Wars has ever done. I think more of what he means is uh, that there's not a good enough quality of Star Wars films consistently coming out uh, to where the MCU has had hit after hit after hit, uh, which has been great. 
but Star Wars hasn't really built up enough momentum like the MCU has. Um, and I, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, I don't, I really don't think he probably should have said that out in public. I don't agree that there's a, a flood of Star Wars films coming out there. I mean, I think it's, it's a good amount. And I think that they're starting to really tell the stories that they want to tell and able to make good content because they're trusting their creators. But at the same time, I've, Marvel and DC both have really been flooding the market with their own content for years now. Uh, DC more on the TV side of it, Marvel more on the movies. But uh, I don't know. I, I think, like I said, I think he probably could have kept that type of comment pro- uh, private. But it's his content. He's allowed to think of it what he wants. He's a big. He's a big boy. Yeah, he can do it. So along along with that, it, it, yeah, he's allowed to make that comment. I, I just think he's trying to placate the fans like, hey, hey, it's special. You know, we shouldn't flood the market. Whereas they're flooding it with Marvel. It's very, it's, I think it's a very PR statement. Yeah. It's a PR stunt. He's trying to keep Star Wars fans from saying like, there's too much and it's all bad, blah, blah, blah. And I totally get it because I'm kind of on the side of like, just put out good content. I don't care how long it takes. Don't give me... Don't give me something like, and we've come around on Rogue One. Rogue One, when it first came out, people were like, eh. But then when you really think about it, you're like, this is pretty good. That third act is amazing. Yeah. You know, and the beginning is a little convoluted with stuff, but the, and the, and the second act exposition with Saul Guerrero, which there's almost none. Mm-hmm. So you can't really connect with that character. Don't even know why you're there. Um, Yeah, it's a little confusing, but... As you go further into the story, and it just gets better. Yeah. So that's that movie, and I just, I don't know. Bob, Bob Iger is just, he's hes doing PR. I'd say so, yeah. Kathleen, Kathleen needs the fix, in my opinion. But, as well, uh, I have a question for you. Sure. Do you feel the fandoms as a whole becoming more toxic because of anonymity on the internet? Or do you think it's the last Jedi has done away with any goodwill fans have had towards the future of the franchise? I mean, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. I would say that fandoms have definitely become more outspoken, and there's a lot of uh, negative stories coming out about a lot of different movies, especially in the last couple of years. I mean, look at the fan backlash from the Sonic movie and how fans were like that's not my sonic we need a better sonic it needs to be more accurate and that led to them completely redoing the design of the character which puts more pressure on those uh vfx artists who actually have to create the thing uh i which they obviously probably weren't paying those people any more than they were originally and they have the same release date for the movie so they have to do almost twice the work in the same amount of time uh and i don't i'm sure that the normal, like the typical fan, isn't really thinking of what their outcry is asking of these creators. Um, I mean, you, you look at Star Wars, the reaction to the Last Jedi, which we've talked about a bunch. Yeah. Uh, Game of Thrones, we've already hit on that a lot. Fans, I, like I kind of mentioned before, have taken this ownership of over the the uh, content that's being put out. They feel like it's theirs, and and if things don't match up to what their speculation is, then it's wrong and it needs to be fixed. But you also have the good side of it, where the fandoms aren't always toxic. It, it really, I think, depends on the kind of creators that you have and the environments that they, they build with their fandom. Because the Supernatural fandom, I don't know if you know anything about them. Uh, uh, no, I don't. So they spend so much time out in fan events, connecting with their fans, building that culture, doing community service, to where the, the fans of that show go out and they do similar things. Uh we're going to disregard the the Jared Pedalecki. I think it was him. Uh, and his brawl that got him arrested at his bar. Uh, that's beside Ooh. the point. Yeah. Uh, but as on a whole. Hey, John, um, you're getting a... It looks like you're getting a call from the same person who called me. Oh, cool. <laughs> They're just... They know we're here together. Oh my gosh, the worst. That's uh, fine. Um, but, uh, like I said, so Supernatural, I think their fandom is a great example of what things could be. 
I think uh, fans reaching out to Marvel and Sony demanding that Spider-Man be brought back into the MCU and stop having this kind of like almost petty feud over who owns the rights fully to this character and what they're going to do with it. I think they they brought the focus back to the fans, which is where it should have been originally. Mm-hmm. It's what, what kind of stories can we tell for the fans who are going out there and paying for our content? And I mean, there's always going to be good and bad examples of it. I, I would say that fans have become a bit more toxic on a whole, um, but I also think that because of that, the last shot I did lose a bit of goodwill with the with the fans on a whole because yeah. it was so controversial and subversive intentionally. But that's not really what the Skywalker saga should be about, and I don't know that Ryan Johnson fully understood that. I think he probably would do a great job with his own trilogy or own, his or his own movie, but I think he didn't really consider the fans going into this movie. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. So kind of 50, 50 between fans and, and creators. I, I've got to side with fans on this one. I think fans are fine. I, and I, is it getting, is the, is the fan bases getting a little bit more toxic? Cause maybe anim, anonymity on the internet, maybe probably, but I'm not going to fault that as a reason you know, to protect these creators. No, because, and going back to Ryan Johnson, you know, he's been kind of criticized by Mark Hamill uh, and just some others, like other actors who are in the original trilogy, like Admiral Akbar. you know, his story about how they were like, it felt like a joke when he was on set that they killed his character and like, oh my gosh, ha ha ha. You know, there goes Admiral Akbar. Thanks everyone. And he had like a breakdown which people made fun of him but people also really supported him like this is so stupid like ryan johnson who you've killed this character how he did it whatever the case may be i think that yes the last jedi and ryan johnson are similar to the sonic the hedgehog issue where there is a disconnect who did you screen test sonic the hedgehog and uh, like two like it just looks like a cash grab like we're gonna make this movie and not look at what Sonic the Hedgehog should look like. How does someone look at that still image, the first one? That Sonic is haunting. <laughs> on on no level should that be allowed. Or at the very least, we should have people who are willing to listen. And since there's criticism of Ryan Johnson, I think to something that I've learned in my position at work, there's like, hey, if there's criticisms about things that are going on, look into it. And, you know, share ideas. Be open to criticism and if you think you're in the right absolutely get a second opinion work on it and then go from there Mm -hmm. and if you're not going to do any of that if you're not going to listen and you're just going to say your vision is it's perfect you're going to hit the same wall that george lucas did when he did the prequels which i understand what he was going for the prequels have a place in my heart because i grew up with them however they are very hard to watch they are background movies they are not movies that you just, oh my gosh, I'm at a hotel and Attack of the Clones is on. Let me just sit back and watch it while I'm here for this conference or whatever. No, you're not going to do that. You, you're you going to have it in the background where you do something crazy in the bedroom or at the hotel room you're at. I don't know. You're going to throw a party or something, but you're not going to sit there and give your full attention to those movies. Yeah. Even though they're very romanticized. And that's the issue is I think it's creators not listening. And thinking that it is still the old way of cinema where you could do it. And we've we've progressed. And some of the criticisms aren't valid. But they, they just do do need to do a better job of listening. I I I, I gotta take the fan side on this one, because maybe I'm bitter or anything like that. And I don't like Zack Snyder as a as a film director, but you know, I'm not a big fan of DC. I feel bad for people who love DC to death and with the treatment that they've gotten and they have a right to be upset and I'm not going to blame them for what's happened. Like it's the creator's fault and that's what I'll, and well, I mean, and yeah. you bring up a couple of good points and, and that reminds me and, and kind of makes me think about what kind of has gone on with the Terminator franchise and for so long nice segue ah uh, yeah we've been on star wars for a long time let's go to <laughs> so i 
with for so long i think after especially after t2 there was this idea of we need to recreate the success of the first two movies and we need to just try and figure out what exactly worked for them to apply to the next few and i think for so long they got it wrong i think t2 or terminator 2 judgment day was it's it i i think it stood alone as its own great movie and then i think terminator 3 introduced too many weird things and i just took it in a very different direction than i think originally it was going for and then terminator salvation happened and that was just a mess in general (laughs) and that just almost Zack snydered that whole franchise and then genesis happened and i mean they had some good actors from other projects in there and i think on paper it should have worked okay but i think the execution of that movie i mean obviously the fans spoke and they did not get the same outcome that they wanted. But regardless of those three misfires that they had, they still put out Dark Fate. And I think what they listened to the fans about and the other previous creators the most was that it needs to include this dynamic between Sarah Connor and uh, the Terminator. And that was really what was missing. And Linda Hamilton specifically, I think, really captured that the essence of the Terminator franchise. Throws grenade. I'll be back. <laughs> So what a great callback! Exactly, and, and they had a lot of good callbacks callbacks in that movie, and and I think they did their best to try and re- recapture that. And I I think the fans have put out pretty positive reviews so far, but then despite that, it's on par to kind of make the same opening weekend that uh, Terminator Genesis did, which they did not make their money back for that that movie at all. Well, it's it's too late. That, well yeah marketing which is usually double what the budget is is what they say yeah is an easy way to calculate how much money's put into this but i it goes back to that thing it's just you know it's this creators listening and now that they're deciding to listen and it's not a cash grab anymore it's too late to be profitable yeah you've got to put out another movie like this uh similar to the direction that dark fate wants to go you have to put out another movie, another project to maybe break even from both films. Potentially, and, and yeah. Potentially, if the second one that you make in the after dark the sequel to whatever Dark Fate is to break even for both projects because you screwed up so bad with the previous three. And just to break it down, uh, the budget, like we said, uh, well, the budget doubling the budget to kind of account for uh, marketing and everything. Uh, the budget for this movie was $200 million. And as of this opening weekend, they only brought in almost $124 million. So they haven't even broken even on uh, the budget for the film, just the production itself. Then they have to double that just to break even on marketing. And then anything beyond that is profit. And I, I just with the opening that it had so far, I really don't think even worldwide box office that it's going to bring in any kind of good money for this franchise i think this movie does uh hopefully good word spreads it out i think this movie does 350 million max may yeah maybe break even at 400 yeah but it's not a it's not a good omen so far which it's unfortunate because like i said like everything that i've been hearing about this movie and the things that i've read about it it's it's been a great greatly reviewed movie and i think yeah. it's got a lot of lot going for it um but i mean so what do you think about this franchise? Do you think that this is kind of the signal of even if we make a good Terminator movie, people still won't turn out? Do you think this franchise is done? Or do you think that they're still going to try and resurrect it every couple of years just to churn out another another Terminator movie? Do I think this franchise is done? No. Do I think this puts Hollywood on notice and specifically execs? Absolutely. When we talk about the... like the pitch meetings for certain movies or it's like how did that become a movie how did the emoji movie become a movie oh my god you know how, how does something like uh you know genesis make it out there for the terminator series you know how how are some of these movies so bad like the sony leaks with adam sandler movies yeah you know is this all cash grab like is, is there no is there no one on the project that believes in it mm-hmm. and that's the comes the difference to i think deadpool changed the market and for rated r movies as much as john wick did as well yeah where people were like we have a passion project and we want this film to be good and it did well and the same you could say the same thing for john wick it's not a stupid shooter that no one's gonna forget about a year later people mm-hmm. 
absolutely love John Wick. People absolutely love Deadpool. And it's there one's an adaptation, one's an original idea. You know, there's no excuse at this point for you to just, you know, like, oh, let's do a reboot of Recall or Total Recall, whatever yeah. that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that came out a while ago. It's just why do we have to reboot everything? You know, it took Disney to reboot Spider Man for the third time. And this one is what we deserve. Spider Man's really good. Venom is a movie that Venom made is a, lot a movie. Of, it's a movie that made a lot of movie uh, a lot of movie. A lot of money. <laughs> but it's not very good. I I say execs have to open their eyes and get people who are passionate about projects. Someone like Kevin Feige mm-hmm. needs to be a creative director for if you're gonna do a franchise or just in general for you know one-off movies it's because i'm excited for kevin feige to do anything star wars well, yeah, and, and marvel the, too in that vein you just need someone who understands the uh the original material the source material where it comes from and where it needs to go to make logical sense uh for things that have already been set up and built as a foundation from the start and just to keep going in completely new directions and tr- to try and put your own spin and twist on this idea I don't think really works a lot of times and I'm sure that there were a lot of people that worked on those movies that believed in it but I think it starts from the top and goes down and if if the people up top don't have a clear vision of what kind of story they want to tell it just gets muddled in in production and then even more so in post-production when you don't have the right type of person overseeing the editing process to piece together the type of story that you want um but what what do you think has been uh, the main thing bringing this franchise back over and over again? What do you think inspires people to keep making these movies despite the previous film's uh, lack of success? I would say Dark Fate is probably a gamble to get fans back on it and do right by them. I would say the movies before Dark Fate were cash grabs and maybe money or maybe they had a vision and dollar signs got in the way of blinded them Mm -hmm. or maybe they made blind judgments not to be critical of what they were making they i think the inspiration now is like if you have an audience that loves your product they will buy merchandise they will go see your movie not just once they will go see it twice and they will, you will have your own box office for people. It it needs to it needs to change, and I think this is a step in the right direction. Now I have a follow up question: Do you think there will be another one after Dark Fate? Unfortunately, probably yeah, because I think. And why you say unfortunately? <sighs> Don't you think it's going in the right direction now? But I, I think you brought up the point that I think it's too late for this series to really produce. At least in this vein of of characters and this this type of story, I think it's probably too late to continue telling a good story. I think if you want to have a successful Terminator franchise, honestly, I think you need to just burn it all to the ground, start completely over with no. new characters. <laughs> but I, I think it's I'll I'll clarify my cons. I think it's okay. too late for profit. If you're okay. doing it for profit, it is way too late. And you've burned... That's why the numbers are going to be long. That's why I said if they make a second one mm-hmm. to sequel this, that's when they break even or make profit that they were expecting. Just it's going to be less. Like the second one will be much better reviewed. More people will want to see it. Something like that. And it can continue. And that, that's what I meant by that as far as like it's too late. I mean, I, I just believe that Terminator is one of those concepts that... If whoever owns the rights to this movie, I mean, you have to make, if you own the rights to something, you have to make a film about it or some kind of material about it every so often to maintain the rights for it. Otherwise, it reverts back to its creator uh, or the last, whoever else. Um, God, I hope it does. So I, what I think is that the studio is just going to keep making these Terminator movies to retain the rights to it because they know that people, some people will always go see a Terminator movie. And if they reinvent it enough, it's going to, entice a few more people to come out and see it just out of curiosity whoever is still going to see him you were the you were the mvp <laughs> of this franchise you've been hanging with him for years yeah uh, and we're gonna be the ones hanging hanging around with game of thrones yep so 
switching topics, Game of Thrones officially or or HBO officially orders Game of Thrones prequel series, House of the Dragon series. However, they did drop the they did drop the other prequel series for the Long Night. Yeah, and that was canceled. I guess they and they had already been filming. They shot the pilot, and it it just ne- was never picked up to series. Yeah, I guess I guess the the I have to find sources, but is this the the production of that was such a such an awful show it, that there were so many hiccups and mess ups with that one. It was what is it? Naomi Banks was supposed to be the uh yes was the actress involved and yes it, it failed so but we are getting at least Naomi Watts not a, Banks. A, N- Naomi Watts Naomi Watts that's Naomi the actress's Watts. name um Fire and Blood uh this this new series of the House of the Dragon is gonna take place went during or a little bit after Aegon's conquest and we're gonna see all of that and that'll be exciting but to get a more in-depth look on House Targaryen yeah, so it uh, the book that it's based off of, um, uh, which is the first. It's a it's a two part uh, book series that it's an anthology series. Yeah, like an edit for exposition, basically. Yeah, uh, I think George R. R. Martin has he's built so much into this world that this is one of the one of the many books that as he's building his normal narrative with the Game of Thrones books or the Song of Ice and Fire books that as he finds a little pocket of the world that he wants to explore more, he splits it off into anthology series. And this is probably the third or fourth different anthology series spawning from Song of Ice and Fire. Um, Yeah, so this one, it picks up at the start of Aegon's Conquest, uh, which has been talked about for uh, almost the entire Game of Thrones series. And then it ends with uh, Aegon Targaryen III, um, bef- it's all before uh, Daenerys' uh, father, Aerys Targaryen, uh, has ever taken the throne. It's about three. It starts about three hundred years before the events of Game of Thrones start. And we're talking about the book right now, right? Well, the book and also the series. Oh, okay. Yeah, the series is based off of this book. Um, so, for one, if the series continues for a while and it gets picked up for a couple seasons, I mean, eventually they might run out of material, and Martin might have to put more focus on the second part of this anthology series to be honest i mean even if if he's even alive by that point <laughs> and he's still got two more game of thrones books to write so he's got a lot on his plate and people are just piling more and more on top of him uh but he said he's not going to write for this show until he finishes winds of winter and uh dream of spring after that so i hope he follows through with that I hope he kind of sticks to his guns and finishes the series that he wanted to finish like a decade ago almost by now. So we'll see how this one goes. I, I, I'm i pretty optimistic about it. I think it could tell some good stories. I'm optimistic. It's, and hopefully, hopefully it goes well. I think HBO has learned a lot every big series it puts out. Like they did Rome. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, all right, well, we'll come out with Game of Thrones and fix what we did. Game of Thrones is really great. Uh, Watchmen is getting rave reviews, which we might have to start reviewing and watching that because yeah, it looks people, really good. People are saying like it is amazing, so we might have to pick that up. And yeah, I I, I have I have faith in this series, and I'm excited for Aegon's conquest. And I I gotta be honest, I don't want this to be a drama. Okay, I want this to be a war film. I okay. want this. I want it to get because. The the episodes like Hard Home and uh, Battle of the Bastards, The Long Night, were amazing. Obviously, it cost a lot of money, but I want to see more of that. And I don't mind if they do like the season two cutaways where it's like, oh, we're on the battlefield, and then it ends. It's just like, oh, we're going to battle, and they, they're flanking us, and you don't see anything happening. And it's just, I want to see more of that intrigue, mm-hmm. of uh, political intrigue caused by war. I want to see that. So, but that that's my expectation. But I I agree. I'm excited for this, like, and he, a little bit. You bring up those episodes, and uh, Miguel Sapochnik is directing uh, a few episodes on this new series, and he's the one that directed those critically acclaimed episodes from Game of Thrones. It's gonna be so good. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, to have him on there, who's gonna bring his expertise over. He's not the main director. He's not one of the showrunners, but uh, he knows what he's doing, obviously, and he knows how to how to put together the best episodes of Game of Thrones there have been. So that 
that alone, I think, is is a really good tell for this series. Yeah, and, and either the budget will have to be enormous to include all the dragons, or it'll be set in a world full of dragons that hardly get any screen time. I, I hope it's full of dragons. I mean, that's the thing. It really depends on how much money HBO wants to put into it. Whether they, if they put ten million dollars or a hundred million dollars an episode, uh, I mean, you could potentially put in a lot of dragons. I, I think it would be a shame if it didn't. Just, for this it, to be. You, they don't have to be super detailed. They just put them off in the distance. <laughs> take a few pixels out of there. It'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, for this to be set in a world full of dragons at the height of that empire, I think it would be a shame if you didn't highlight the one big difference between game of thrones and this new series which is the amount of that fantasy aspect i think that they can put into it and really take it off oh take it away from the like you said like a like a one-on-one like individual kind of storytelling and more of that grand army versus army building a nation kind of storytelling i want to say that yeah do you think this uh this is something that fans have asked for or is it just hbo wanting to recreate more game of thrones over and over i think i think the main drive has probably been the studio uh wanting to try and recreate the success of game of thrones um i mean for me personally if it was between this series and the long night i would have preferred the long night yes Uh, i mean for one the the house of or the fire and blood um uh, which is the book that this is going to be based off of it's everything is already spelled out just like the novel uh a song of ice and fire so we we know the general direction that this is going to take we obviously don't know the dialogue of every character but we know the big storytelling points but for it to be set in the long night which was over a thousand years before game of thrones so much of that is clouded in mystery and even the maesters in game of thrones or in the song of ice and fire are unsure exactly of of what happened in that part of their history mm-hmm. that there's there's so much more room to expand and to tell your own kind of story that isn't based off of any one type of source material because uh if it's if it's clouded in mystery if you don't really know exactly what happened you can tell any story you want and then down the road word of mouth just kind of skews the actual events into what is recorded in the maester's books down the road so like i said personally I would have preferred the other pilot, but there's probably a reason why they picked this one up and not The Long Night. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen The Long Night just because they could have made it like hor- horrifying. Mm-hmm. They could have made it like a, not like a zombie movie, but I'm in my mind, I think it's more of a end of the world disaster. Yeah. I, I would like to see that, but as a horror film mm-hmm. put into a series, I think that would grab people to be like, oh my gosh. And you you got to create characters you connect with so that their survivability is something you you hold on to. Kind of like how George R. R. Martin would be like, "Oh, you really like Ned Stark? Dead." Yeah. Oh wait, spoiler. <laughs> I think we can get away with that one. Yeah, we could. We could. He got axed, bro. Oh yeah. But it, I I, I would have preferred. But I I think you're you're right. Just people people love it, and HBO is gonna make money. So, but for me i it's both i mean like game of thrones game of thrones got people who hated seeing each other at thanksgiving to freaking talk to each other game of thrones is such a weird phenomenon that just swept it people from other countries people across the united states where we live it's insane whereas like people who i don't have anything involved with what would be like you watch game of thrones you're like hell yeah even though we might like different characters or something like that, we still talk about the story. Yeah. And they could still regurgitate some things, uh, young and old. So I think I think culturally it's pretty important for HBO to continue this. And I I really hope with what's what's coming up that they pay attention to how that how important of an aspect it's been. Yeah, I'd agree. So all right, John. Yes. It's time for me to be the showman. It's time for me to take over. Get up on your soapbox, Chris. All right, everyone. We're gonna do a. We're gonna do some games. We're gonna talk about some games. Some things going on in the industry. We're gonna just breeze through this because it's a lot. So, this is gonna be a games roundup. So over the weekend, John, there was BlizzCon, and people were really worried about it. 
because uh, Activision Blizzard mm-hmm. had made some controversial statements with Blitzchung and the issue with China, where some someone protested or you know supported Hong Kong protesters on a live stream. Okay. And the thing that Activision Blitzchung did, or Activision Blizzard did, was take away his prize money, suspended him for a year. And it turned into a whole PR nightmare, and everyone's like, "Oh no, this was that was like a month and a half ago, a month ago." Oh wow! And everyone's like, "BlitzCon, their big the BlizzCon, their biggest uh, event of the year. They they're they're Super Bowl, their yeah. championship game. It's coming up at the end of the month. What's gonna happen?" And people just like got out the popcorn, was ready for like the show, the disaster, and what could happen. And actually, things went pretty smoothly. Okay. They announced two games, Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4, which a lot of people who played Diablo 3 are excited about Diablo 4. Uh, I'm more excited for Overwatch 2, which is going to be weird because they're going to do some... It's like an expansion, but not an expansion. It's a new game with new heroes on it, but you'll be able to play with people from the first Overwatch. And it's just an interesting expansion. And they said that it'll be... They're going to change the industry by doing this. So, so is it like world building that, like you said, like also includes uh, people f- that are playing the first game? So if you're playing the the first game and people are all, and people around you are playing the second game, will you be able to play PvP together? Yeah. So okay. so that's the that's the that's what they said. You'll be able to play PvP together, but in Overwatch two, you'll be able to play separate story modes and have access to different things. Okay. So that'll be interesting. Um, obviously, there'll be more things that are exclusive to overwatch 2 mm-hmm. but i guess they're trying to do a different roadmap on how to do this and change the way other places do it i never played diablo series but people are excited about that so that got announced and that's one of the interesting things uh, another big thing is that death stranding reviews made by uh kojima who used to work for uh, konami and making the metal gear series the reviews for the embargo on his game for reviews is over people reviewing it from one of the one of my favorite podcasts i listen to kind of funny podcast they talked about um their thoughts and it is a very interesting game unlike anything you ever see where some people like it some people don't it's kind of mixed but it's a very cool concept where you basically have to connect the society society is in some dystopian messed up place and you have to bring products to different people to connect them to the chiral network is what they're calling it okay but basically will connect society and there's a story in it that some people like it sucks but the idea is that you're gonna rebuild how we connect and the gameplay is very uh stealthy very you know kind of puzzle puzzle of like how am i gonna get across this train it's not a shooter it's very strategic yeah it's very strategic and it can be frustrating but uh i think it is super different Mm -hmm. and it is a metaphor for what we're going through in our society where we're not connected and here's a game that says hey if you build a road or whatever to get to this place another player might be able to use it in the world so okay. you might be in a server and someone would be like, oh, this person built this for me. Oh my gosh, thank you. And it entices, it, it, it kind of incentivizes you to do more tasks to connect things and then build stuff to help other players. Like if you're delivering a package to one part of the map and you build a bridge uh, and you're, you're like, oh man, I could use these materials later, but you know, let me leave it for somebody else who comes before me and like you help out other people. So that's what, uh, is a way to really bring people together. Sounds like an interesting concept. Yeah. I'm not going to... Uh, it's not my type of game, but maybe I, I will pick it up because I think the I think that kind of idea is pretty sweet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can, up, you can update clothing. It's got inventory management. It's going to be... It's going to be interesting to see what the general public has to say about it because games reviewers are kind of split. Okay. All right, more stuff coming out. PlayStation View is being discontinued on January 30th, 2020. I'm sad. 
I mean, I can't really say I ever got into it. I think the last PlayStation I owned was PlayStation 2. Yeah. Way back I, in the day. Oh, and I have PlayStation views, so I'm going to have to switch over to something else, which it might just be Disney Plus with the uh, Hulu and ESPN will, what I'll, will be what I do yeah. and get rid of my PlayStation view. But it, it'll be gone, and it was a cool project while it lasted, but, you know, PlayStation just isn't taking enough of the market share. You know, with them, you having to either own a PlayStation mm-hmm. or get an app to put PlayStation Sony onto your phone or device, whereas you can get something that's a little bit more user-friendly like YouTube, YouTube TV or Apple TV or whatever you need to do. Those are a little bit more accessible. Yeah. So rest in peace, PlayStation View. You will be missed. You had another good two months to use it. Uh, I'm probably going to cancel it so that it'll be gone December 1st when there's a new payment for me. Fair enough. All right. And then something I'm super excited for is Fallen Order. Jedi Fallen Order. Oh my gosh, John. Oh yeah. Star Wars. But like, you are a Jedi and there's customization, there's lightsaber on lightsaber action, the combat is is more gritty, you're not a Jedi god, you have to be careful with the stuff, force powers, I'm so excited for this game, John. Tell me how you really feel, Chris. I'm so excited for this game, John. There it is. Yeah, I can't wait to go out into the yard with a lightsaber and just smack all these damn kids in your neighborhood and be like, Star Wars Jedi, Fallen Order, or Fallen Order. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm super excited for this game. It looks good. It looks like we're getting back to Lucas Arts format where they build a really great game and it's not about microtransactions as EA has done with their past couple of games and even Galaxy of Heroes. So, yeah. This is something that might be able to get the Star Wars base excited to help them get them excited for Rise of Skywalker in tandem with The Mandalorian. I think this is great. I mean, it sounds to me like we're saturating the market or uh, oversaturating the market. You know what? Know. Don't don't do this to me. It's good content. <laughs> it's allowed. It's allowed cuz it's good content. But oh, yeah. It's got a lot of RPG elements, open world, so you can change the color of your lightsaber, uh, there's uh, level perks and skills, and it's very, if you've ever played the game Dark Souls, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be really tough, you know, every, every one of your movements is more weighted, it's okay. not like you're in Call of Duty, like, you know, shooting 10 different people, sliding across a building, throwing a grenade, and you do it all within 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, this is going to feel more slowed down, but Star Wars experience. Okay. So that's really exciting. And then the last thing I have in here is that EA is putting games back onto Steam. Ooh. So Electronic Arts want, had its own launcher for uh, for like their games that they were producing. And I guess they're going to go back to putting them back on steam on the plate on pcs the because everyone at one point thought oh let me just make my own launcher and people have to buy it on my own marketplace i guess it didn't work that well yeah and you know i guess i have a question for you is do you you know a little bit about it about steam about steam yeah yeah and uh, so ea this was i forget when they did it might have been two years ago they took their games off and put them on their own launcher and now they're putting them back. So uh, my question to you is, why do you think they did it? Is it, do you think it's like EA trying to connect with gamers after just being such a stupid company? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're trying to make their content more accessible and uh, kind of win back some of the uh, the goodwill of, of their users. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know for a long time, everybody was just talking about all the microtransactions that every <laughs> game would introduce, yeah. and they really built up a bad reputation. So it seems like they're trying to get back in everybody's good graces. And I, mean, I think by making their content more accessible on Steam, I think that's a good first step. It's a good first step. And if Star Wars does really well, uh, Fallen Order, which is also an EA game, mm-hmm. it'll definitely bring us back. Yeah. That'll be something that people aren't expecting i would agree but uh we're getting towards the end here and john what are you watching 
So what I've been watching lately, and I need to finish it in the next couple of days, uh, is that Jake Gyllenhaal movie Stronger about the Boston uh, Marathon bombings. Oh. Um, I, I've seen it on Hulu for a long time. I've really wanted to catch it. Finally just made the decision to watch it. Uh, so I'm about two-thirds of the way through right now. And it's it's a heavy story, but the uh, the acting is so good. Um, I, it's... It's not your typical kind of hero story, and I, I know from the uh, uh, the news stories that surrounded it, um, uh, this guy was touted as this hero uh, for being the one to describe what the bombers looked like and kind of give them the leads to get to where they needed to be to catch these guys. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, with that comes this weight of, uh, him, of him having to live with this disability and all these limitations that come with that and trying to find his place in the world of being just a normal normal guy who's going through his own personal struggles and his uh girlfriend getting back with him and then leaving him again and uh there's it's it's much deeper it's much more of a deep story than i I realized i think initially and i've i've really been enjoying it i think it's a it's a great watch Mm. i definitely recommend it one of i think jake gyllenhaal's better movies uh so chris what have you been watching so after we recorded the podcast uh, last week, I went and saw Zombieland Double Tap. Very uh, fun movie. It's not Oscar worthy, I'll tell you that. But it was stupid fun and I enjoyed it. A lot of funny jokes, a lot of crude humor, some pretty good plot points and just callbacks to the original. I had a good time watching it. Uh, it's not... Is it worth... The money to be in the theater, eh, maybe Redbox it, but if you enjoyed the first one, I'd say go see it in theaters anyways. If you don't, if you've never seen it before, maybe don't see it in theaters. It's it's, it's really quick. It's only an hour and a half movie. Oh, wow. But it, it was it was funny, and there was some stupid good humor in it, so I, I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a good good time. A good movie time. Sounds excellent, Chris. Yeah, like a nice crisp apple in the morning. <laughs> Except this was at night. But anyways, thank you for joining us, everyone. Uh, John and I are going to head out, and we're going to order. We got our tickets ordered for Rise of Skywalker. We got that done today, which is good. So I'm so excited, Chris. Yeah. Well, And uh, we'll probably have some more stuff next week as we get closer to uh, Mandalorian. And yeah. actually... Eight more days. Yeah, eight more days, dude. It's going to be good. It's going to be exciting. So we'll do, we'll, for the, we don't know what's going to happen next week, but obviously the one after that, we'll have a Mandalorian review out and we'll be very excited. Absolutely. Sounds like a, uh, sounds like a good plan, Chris. Woo. All right. All right, everyone. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Bye.